Today on The Breakdown, I want to wade into a difficult conversation that me and most of my friends work very hard to avoid. (laughs) I want to talk about some of the very real limitations of what we call identity politics. That is the support, backing, and endorsement of someone because of some factor of their identity. Most often, it's their racial identity, but people can be identified in many different ways. Their their religion, their nationality. But I want to talk about it particularly as it relates to politics in New York City. And even if you're not from New York, I'm going to use New York as an example kind of unpack some of the very real challenges with identity politics and tell you why I kind of come down in the middle on the issue. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase identity politics. It is, it's normally used to critique building a staff or an administration or supporting a political candidate because of their race. I don't know anybody who actually does identity politics who calls it identity politics. What I mean by that is I don't know anybody who works really hard to elect, for instance, African-American candidates or those particular African-American candidates themselves. I've never heard that group of people call this thing that we're about to talk about identity politics. It's normally the phrase that's used from the outside looking in to describe placing the identity, the category that that person belongs to, a woman, for instance, the category that that person belongs to, using that as your primary reason of supporting them. Either you voice this thing out loud or it's just inferred that that's why you're supporting them. And before I'd ever heard of the phrase identity politics, I, many, many years ago, it's 2022, God, I'm getting old, but all the way back in the early 2000s, which is now literally decades ago, all the way back in the early 2000s, I would say I was very supportive. I I don't think the phrase identity politics was being used very regularly back then. But I was very supportive of the idea of getting black people in power in huge part because they were black. And it was almost political positions second, race first. And you shouldn't be shocked about this, but... This really came out of 
hundreds of years of American politics completely freezing out African-Americans and African-Americans just fighting to have a seat at the table. Any African-American to to be a governor, a senator, a congressperson, a mayor um, and, and appointed to a presidential administration for hundreds of years in this country. African-Americans were frozen out of these positions. Women were frozen out of these positions. Asian-Americans, people who identify as LGBTQ, different identity categories of people were frozen out of most positions. For a long time, if you weren't a white man, for generations, if you were not a white man, you were not really available. If you were not an openly heterosexual white man identifying even as a Christian, uh, a heterosexual white male landowner. Like if you didn't fit this narrow sliver of identity, you were not going to have a seat at any table in politics. And what that form of oppression created was this breakthrough mentality of we need to have a seat at the table. We being any one of those categories, a racial category, an ethnic category, a nationality category, a religious category. And so that's when, uh, you know, gender, uh, orientation, religion, And so what you started seeing was people celebrating like, wow, we just elected our first Catholic president, JFK. Wow, can you believe it? We just elected our first African-American president, our our first African-American and Indian vice president. But now that politics is still not fair, white men are still widely overrepresented in political power uh, relative to the population. But now so many people from so many categories have a wide variety of seats at the table that to me, identity politics, that is putting someone in office primarily because they're from a particular category They still have to be a good candidate. Yes, all of those things. But that singular part of their identity being a primary reason you support somebody to me has not only lost its luster, it's it's outdated. And what happens is. There are there are three real consequences to identity politics. One Now conservatives are using it. So conservatives are now saying, hey, we will elect an African-American to statewide office. So in Kentucky, Daniel Cameron is the black attorney, the African-American attorney general of the state of Kentucky, which should for people who fight for identity politics should be a big deal. He's the first African-American, I believe to have statewide office in the state of Kentucky, my home state. 
but his politics are horrible. But Republicans now know that they can endorse and support an African-American for statewide office. So you get a U.S. Senator, Tim Scott in South Carolina, African-American. Virginia now has an African-American woman as their lieutenant governor. And this to me is, it's not about Democrat and Republican because, yes, I generally disagree with the politics of the three people that I just named. But there are horrible, put, put that word horrible in bold print, capitalize it, highlight it, underline it. There are horrible black Democrats elected to office all over the country. And so they have a seat at the table. But when they're at that table, they're not fighting for working people. They're not fighting for poor people. They're not fighting for civil rights and human rights. They're not rocking the boat. They're not speaking truth to power. Having a seat at the table is only worth as much as that person's willingness to really do something with that seat. And right now in the city of New York, if it was 1995, I think we would have something to be elated over. In the city of New York, we have a black mayor. We now have a black chancellor of our public school system, the largest public school system in America, one of the largest in the world. And a black police chief, a black woman police chief, the first in New York's history. And Mayor Eric Adams, who I know and have met. um, I lived in Brooklyn for years. He was my borough president. Several people that I'm very good friends with know him well and love him. He is their dear friend. They worked on his uh, campaign. And. He is the second African-American mayor, but Eric Adams is in a lot of ways what I would call a race man. Like he believes in putting black people in positions all throughout his administration and he's doing it over and over and over again. Not only is his police chief a black woman, but the deputy police chief is a black man. He, in fact, not only is the, the deputy police chief a black man, it is literally the brother of Eric Adams. He appointed his brother. Um, like he, there's another position that is going to oversee public safety, another black man in this position. And theoretically, that should be a good thing. And, and I'm putting like air quotes around the word should. Theoretically, that should mean something. And it's, it, it's not nothing. So I, like, I have to just be very frank here. Having black people in power should generally, and not should, does generally mean that you have somebody who understands the black experience, black culture, somebody who has intersected with all of the unique blessings, challenges, and opportunities of what it means to be black in America. So you have somebody that is, that has a deep relationship with the black experience in America in power when you elect an African-American, even if that's Tim Scott or whoever. Okay. 
or Eric Adams. But having someone black in power does not at all mean freedom, equality, does not mean righteousness, does not mean ethics or integrity. And I just want to introduce an idea to many of you. But I particularly want to introduce this idea to my black listeners right now. But it, it truly applies to all of us. Because I'm using the example of New York City as, like, right now we have a lot of black people in power. The, the new uh, speaker of our city council, which is kind of like the city council president here, is a black woman. Uh, the attorney general of New York, a black woman. Like, black people are in power right now in New York in a very real way. But that does not necessarily create a fast path to good politics. Because you can be black and have the worst politics of anybody in the room. We defeated a black woman who was the district attorney of Los Angeles, Jackie Lacey. She was awful, awful. One of the worst district attorneys in America. But, but she was a black woman. She was a Democrat and a black woman, and she stunk. And a Latino man defeated her. Because he's a Latino man, does that mean he's going to have good politics? No. Because he's a man? No. Because he's a Latino? No. Because she's a black woman? No. Because she's African-American? No. We have to get to the point. Listen, I'm, I don't necessarily believe in being race neutral. Like we should consider race in a lot of the decisions that we make, but not to the point that we ignore policy positions. And right now, a lot of the policy positions I hear from Eric Adams and his administration, I don't like them. Is that because they are black? Of course not. It's because you can be black and be good. This is, this is the idea that I want you to catch as I close. There is nothing inherently righteous or good about any identity. And thinking so is problematic. You can be a good woman or an evil woman. You can be a righteous black man or you can be a corrupt black man. You can be whoever you are, whatever, whatever your identity, your race, your gender, your orientation. No particular group is bent toward good or evil. You can be anything on that spectrum. And our belief that someone who we thought because of their identity was going to do a good job or because of their identity, they were going to have good policy. That belief is short-sighted. They can. And a great example is the new district attorney of Manhattan is a brother that I know and love and respect Alvin Bragg, the new DA of Manhattan, one of the most important legal positions in the country. He's a black man with great policies, great policy positions, great integrity. Like, he is a black man, yes, but also has the viewpoints that I know 
are going to matter for civil and human rights in the city of New York. And we can't just stop at the identity and not go anywhere else. I hope that unpacks and explains some ideas about racial politics and and identity politics. But um, there's a lot of it going on right now, and it doesn't always work in our favor. Take care, everybody. Break it down. What's up, North Star family? This is Donnie Rose, and I'm excited to let y'all know about the Word Life podcast, the latest podcast in the North Star Network that I'm hosting. Each week on Word Life, I will be exploring the intersections of literary art, music, politics, and revolution, and unpacking the messaging, lyrics, and themes of poetry and music, both classic and contemporary, that function as the heartbeat, baseline, and bottom line for radical change. Be sure to check out episodes of Word Life, dropping every Thursday wherever you enjoy podcasts, and let us know your thoughts. Peace, creativity, and revolution. Word.